And good afternoon. This is Carrie Meldon. We're here with Meldon Law and Friends. I'm, si- I'm standing in for Jeffrey, who happens to be in Aspen, Colorado, visiting my sister and uh, their three, her three lovely kids, my father's uh, grandchildren, and my, my nephew and my two nieces. Uh, so Noah, uh, Shoshana, Mimi, uh, we, uh, we, love, we love you, and I wish I was there with you guys, but I'm sure uh, Dad's having a good time. He just was actually at a lecture out in Seattle yesterday uh, with the American Association of Justice presenting uh, a, a, uh, a PowerPoint presentation in front of a group of about 200 lawyers on our Gator uh, partnership. And just for those listeners out there that obviously know us, we are the official law firm partner of the Florida Gators, and we just were able to extend that partnership until 2026. So there is no other law firm in the world that can state that they're the official law firm partner of the uh, Florida Gators other than Meldon Law. And if any other law firm is using the Gator logos or using the Gator insignia, let us know because they're going to be in big, big trouble. So, uh, and we've got Nathan here who's a legal scholar. Maybe he can give me some more, some more uh, information when we get into our interview. Uh, one last thing I want to let the listeners know out there is that we are going to be doing a great giveaway uh, at this summer for the Tom Pe- for a Tom Petty tribute band in Orlando, and it includes a weekend stay at Margaritaville uh, free of charge. So you get to go to Margaritaville, uh, spend a weekend in Orlando Margaritaville, which is a resort. I haven't been there, but I've heard it's pretty cool. And then go check out a Tom Petty tribute band. Uh, because we love Tom Petty. Jeffrey uh, was Tom Petty's first lawyer. And as you are well aware at Meldon Law, we don't back down. That's all there is to <laughs> it. So we have a good time. So without further ado, we're going to go into uh, our first interview. We've got an incredible guest. He's been a guest here previously during COVID, where it was a, um, I think it was via Zoom. Right. And today we got the real deal. We're, we're at Spurrier's Gridiron Grill, as you probably can see behind us. Uh, we love our podcast uh, from Spurrier's Gridiron Grill. And today's uh, first guest, Nathan Whitaker, is an especially special guest for this particular podcast because he has connections to Spurrier's Gridiron Grill. In fact, he's memorialized in the museum. If you haven't been here yet, you can check it out. It's a restaurant, but it's also a museum. You can check out the, 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 the rings, the uniforms, all of the plaques, there's hats, there's visors, there's stories about what, what happened during Steve Spurrier's career, and uh, Nathan has a uh, connection. So let's get into our, our first interview with Nathan. So Nathan, first of all, before we get into your background, why don't we explain to the viewers a little bit about why your Duke Blue Devils jersey is sitting in Spurrier's shrine. <laughs> right. Right. Come to uh, Spurrier's Gridiron Grill for my jersey, and while you're here, you may as well eat. Yeah. Um, so they, they were looking for – Coach Spurrier has been always so good to Duke over the years. And he says two-way street that he was actually out of work. The USFL had folded after he was with the Tampa Bay Bandits. Mm-hmm. Had folded. He was out of work, and Duke hired him as their head coach. Uh, I th- actually, he says he was out of work twice when Duke hired him. And so, actually, I arrived on campus. I had been recruited to play baseball to Duke. Mm-hmm. Grew up here what, in What position were you playing in baseball? I was a shortstop. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I played the corner positions first and third, but I was too weak hitting to stick there, so they put me at short. Right. And so I was a shortstop recruited to play Duke and then mm-hmm. uh, walked on in football. And I arrived there right as Coach Spurrier did. And so being a Gainesville guy and knowing Coach Spurrier's name throughout the years, it was really cool to arrive at the same time he did. Absolutely. And, so, and so you were from Gainesville. You went to Eastside. Right. Uh, I did. Your father is an, was, is an attorney. Right. And he was practicing at that point in Gainesville? That's right. He yeah. was practicing law and, uh, and was also coaching me in baseball. Uh-huh. And uh, so anyway, it was, it was a great experience to be with him at Eastside and then actually... What, what brought you to Duke? Was it, I mean, did they, was it just the baseball team? Was it the academic institution? Was it a little bit of both? A little bit of both. I, yeah. was, I was kind of a... Uh, 
that was the biggest school I was recruited to. I was mm -hmm. in kind of an Ivy type. I'm Dartmouth, Brown, Princeton were all the other finalists that I was recruited to mm -hmm. and ended up going to Duke hoping that, you know, it was division a, one. It's a right. big, it's a big school. I mean, that's a pretty cool deal. Yeah. 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 So I got to have my hat handed to me by Clemson and NC state <laughs> and Carolina. And yeah. so, yeah, it was a good experience. And then you uh, took up football too. Cause why not? You know, why not? I mean, it's right. just a tough school. Why not have uh, more time devoted to different sports? But I'm, I'm sure that you, uh, it was pretty cool having Spurrier come in. What year did you start at Duke? So I started there in 87, which was his first year. Wow. Yes. And so I usually That's tell, you know, yeah. you've outed me since yeah. we're here in Spurrier, but I usually just tell people I played ball at Duke uh -huh. and let them figure that, you know, it must have been basketball. Right. Of course it wasn't. And I have no <laughs> ability there. But, Nathan's uh, pretty tall. What are you, six foot four? Six two. Six two. Okay. Maybe. Maybe I'm shorter than I thought, but he seems pretty tall in person. My hair yeah. these days maybe it takes me to six four. There you go. There you yeah. go. He's he's you know I, I just want to say as an aside, he's he kind of looks like my good friend Nick Gillum a little bit. And Nick's six foot five. Do you know Nick? I don't. Oh, so Nick won the the individual golf uh, championship here at UF okay. in two thousand and one, okay. and they won the team championship that year too. And he's he kind of has the same haircut as you, kind of like okay. dark hair, and he's really tall and, and slender. So every time I, every time I see you, Nathan, I think it's Nick Gillum because you have the same smile. But Nick's a, he's been on the show before, and he's a, an amazing athlete. He actually started at UNC Chapel Hill, and okay. then transferred back to UF and won one tournament his whole career, and it was the individual uh, men's title for N the whole NCAA. So he was a national wow, championship. You're gonna win one. He got to play the U.S. Wow. Open in golf, and he played on the um, on the league for a little while. And he's still here in town, but he's a, he's a great guy. So shout out to Nick. But but anyway, so so he's tall. You're tall. You tell people you play basketball, but the truth is you played baseball and um, and football. I did. Yeah. I did. And it was great to be there with for Coach Spurrier's three years were my first three years and. Of course, we taught him everything he needed to know to come down here to Gainesville. Yeah, and do the great things he did at UF. And How was so, it when you first when he first came in the locker room? Were you, was it crazy, like the energy that he brought, or was he so, a little different? So it, you know, the energy was the energy was good. What was interesting was um, he was less of a rah rah kind of coach than than I'd experienced before, and mm -hmm. and even after he, I think he was really shaped by his time, not only playing in the NFL but then coaching the bandits mm -hmm. that had been his prior job before us. And he really treated us in a lot of ways as pros yeah. in that he, he would get, you know, the, the legendary stories of him throwing his visors down. And of course yeah. that happened, but he would get more upset during practice because he would always say, look, Saturday, Saturday, you're going to play however you practice during the week. Yeah. So Saturday, there's no point in getting all excited. Everybody's going to be excited. Everybody's going to be motivated. Everybody's going to be, but you've got to have a good day of practice Tuesday. You've got to have a good day of practice Wednesday. You've got to have a good day of practice and he was very workmanlike about it yeah, and very methodical. And I, I sat in a film session one time. He's sitting there with a receiver, and, yeah. and he's saying, hey, you're in the wrong place on this route, and we're watching film. And, and the guy says, I know. And he said, why? Where would you make your break? And the guy said, I made it at 13 and a half. And he said, right, you've got to make it at 13. You're going to be in the wrong. And I'm thinking, wow. my gosh. He must have loved yard. working with Duke players because they're so sharp. I mean, it must have been great for his system because his system was revolutionary at that time. And I know that there was not really <clears> – <throat> any precedent with regards to that type of football in college, right? It really was groundbreaking. Yeah. And, and yeah, I don't, I don't know about the, how smart we were. My, my <laughs> wife will tell you I'm intelli uh, educated beyond my intelligence. But uh, anyway, yeah, it was a good experience and, and certainly revolutionary. So, so just so you all know, Nathan is not just a New York Times bestselling author. He also has what I call the resume of a Supreme Court justice by uh, attending uh, Duke undergrad and then only Harvard Law School. So we'll we'll get into that in a second. But uh, one last question about Spurrier: How long did it take for him to deter uh, to find out that you were from Gainesville? Oh, right away. Okay, he knew it right away, and and that was really that was one of the neat things about you know we talk about relationships and connecting and and so I had this you know I'm a walk on in football and new to campus, I'm just you know I'm an only child so I'm away from home for the first time. Yeah. And uh, one day I'm, I'm walking outside of the football building and it's probably November and it was snowing. Mm -hmm. And it was just one of those days where you just kind of, it's cold and gray and I'm lonely and whatever. Yeah. And all of a sudden I hear Nate and I turn <laughs> and a snowball is whizzing toward my head <laughs> and it's Coach Furrier. And uh, anyway, awesome. he loved the Gainesville connection and loved yeah. picking on me. And it was always, it was always great. He seems, you know, there's no fake, I don't know uh, coach Spurrier as well as you do but every time I've been in front of him there seems like there's nothing fake about him he's he is pretty yeah. much he is what you see he which is. is rare 
yeah. uh, in this day and age. Everybody wants to put on, you know, some kind of airs, and I don't think that, despite the fact he he he's a legend, I don't think he uh, he views himself like that. He just knows he is. Right. <laughs> right. 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 It ain't bragging if you it, back it up. It right. Ain't bragging if you can back it up. So you graduate um, from Duke. You decide you don't have. You're not going to be playing uh, professional football or right. baseball. Unfortunately. Right. Unfortunately. So you right. decide to go to law school. You follow in your in your father's lips, uh, or footsteps, but you end up going to uh, what is, you know, obviously the the most prestigious law school in uh, in the world. You know. Screw, screw Yale, right? It's always Harvard. Nobody likes Yale. <laughs> no one likes Yale. <laughs> so what brought you to Boston? What decided, uh, you know, how did, how did you feel about that transition? Yeah, so it was, I really didn't know what to do. I had an English degree. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what to do next and was going to apply to law schools and grad schools and took the LSAT first, and it went so well that I thought I better stick with this mm-hmm. and got into Harvard and some others and thought, you know, I, how do you not go to Harvard? How do you not go? How do you not go? So, um so I went, and it was an amazing experience as far as, again, same as Duke. I'm the dumbest guy in mm-hmm. the class. Somebody's got to bring up the rear. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was a good experience, though, to be around really smart people who are just doing amazing things. Yeah. And so that's really neat. Um, that, you know, I had friends that went here to Florida Law, and we sat for the bar together. And I'm not sure they weren't better prepared than I was with what they had learned. Um, but the the people I rubbed shoulders with was really unique. You know what? I was, it's kind of made me aware of how unique that community is a little bit, just sort of reinforced it, is that Justice Breyer, who recently retired from the, right. from the bench, he's like 80, what, 81 years old? He's mm-hmm. like in his early 80s. Right. Instead of going off and like going to Hawaii or going, you know, to, to retire, he just says, I want to go back and teach at the faculty yeah. at Harvard um, law school, which yeah, is incredible. I mean, back to Cambridge. Yeah. So he wants to spend the rest of his life mm-hmm. out of anywhere in the world. He can do anything he wants with zero pressure after having all that pressure of being a Supreme Court right. justice. Is And his dream is to go back and be a, a faculty member at Harvard Law. It's pretty cool, right? It is. It's really neat. And it, it was really neat to to take, you know, you're taking courses from the people who wrote the textbooks. And not that, yeah. again, not that there aren't amazing folks here at UF writing textbooks and doing other stuff, but you just find yourself... Everywhere you turn, I mean, I was I was in a class, I was in a negotiation workshop, yeah. and the professor is talking about, and so we actually built a round table because nobody wanted to sit at the head of the table and very high-level talks, and, and he's really kind of, we can't tell where he's going with this. And then you realize, oh my gosh, he is in the room when they're coming up with the armistice in the Korean War, <laughs> and that they built the, on the 37th <laughs> parallel or whatever, yeah. they built a building at a round table, and he was at the table with North and South Korea and the U.S. and the Chinese, and and you're like, oh, these are the people teaching me. Are you kidding me? Yeah, they're, so. they're the the people that change. You hear about uh, conspiracies all the time, especially in this day and age. You hear about conspiracies. I don't believe in conspiracies, but I do believe that there's there's a few people that make decisions that affect a lot of other people, and many of those people went through uh, Harvard Law School and have been associated with Harvard Law School either as a student, as a faculty member, or, or in some other uh, ancillary way. It's it's kind of a, uh, when you look back at history a thousand to two, you know, three, four thousand years from now, I think Harvard Law School is going to be one of those, you know, places like the, uh, where, where Plato and Aristotle uh, was at, the, what is it, the uh, the um, the forum or whatever right, they, right, they discussed, all, yeah. whatever. Right, <laughs> right. They discussed philosophy. I think uh, Harvard Law School will be there. So that was cool. So you, so you, so you were able to uh, successfully complete Harvard Law School, and then you were saying you actually had a federal clerkship, which is a very heralded position, back here in Florida. I did. Yeah. I did. I was in actually in Jacksonville. Um, William Terrell Hodges, who recently passed away a couple mm-hmm. of months ago, was appointed um, by President Nixon, and by the time I was on uh, was clerking for him, it was 1995. So he had been on the bench uh, 22 years by then, mm-hmm. um, and just a phenomenal experience. Very bright, and that's when I quickly realized that I was not smart enough to be a Supreme Court justice, <laughs> federal judge, anything of the sort. Uh, judge Hodge was so smart and so thoughtful. In fact, one day I'd, I'd proposed an order. I'd put it on as we had to go through the case files and pull mm-hmm. the relevant research and read through the briefs, and then write a proposed order. And so it's on his desk, and he calls me in, Mr. Whitaker, and I come running in. And he said, Mr. Whitaker, do you read what you have written before you place it on my desk? 
And I sat there and just stared at him and thought, there is no good answer to this question. <laughs> yes or yes. no gets me in yeah. trouble. So, uh, so anyway, he's very, he was always yeah. very thoughtful, and he was really three steps ahead of everything. So it was a great experience to, to be able to work for him and also to have him kind of think, think me through things, take me through, you know, if we do this, if mm -hmm. we decide this, then how is that going to, how will people govern their lives if we set any sort of precedent, if, we, if this is mm -hmm. not really where the law is, or, or are we sure Congress meant this? And if not, are we doing something to circumvent? And so he was always thinking down the line, and, and that was really helpful. Well, we're going to go to our first break, but uh, Judge Hodges was a noted Gator fan and actually led to some of your future career paths as well uh, in some That's right. in some un unbeknownst, um, I don't know what you would call it, undiscovered. I don't know what you would, you're, you're the English major, you'll, you'll figure <laughs> it out. But, but we, uh, we're going to talk about the, the future path of uh, Nathan Whitaker uh, post uh, his clerkship with Judge Hodges when we get back uh, from a quick break. Oh my gosh, I can't even believe this. Look, look what you have done to my truck. Excuse me, it's your fault, it's not my fault. Yes, it is your no, fault. Not, not, I am not. calling Jeffrey Maldon from Maldon Law. So I'm going to call Jeffrey, my husband. Meldon Law, this is Jeffrey speaking. Jeffrey! This person is here. This person lady, he might... New client? Yes, but this one might be a little tricky. When you're a member of the Gator Nation, you know what it means to never back down. Meldon Law has been a proud supporter of the Gator Nation since 1971. Two forces that won't back down. As the old saying goes, if you can't beat them, join them. And we are back here at Law Talk Live. I always know that we're back because the M logo starts to rotate. When it's, when it's still, <laughs> that means we're not on. So that, I got the signal. Uh, Nathan, that was a really cool first uh, segment. We were talking about your clerkship with Judge Hodges. Who, uh, was, who was recently, um, who recently passed away. He was located in Ocala in the Middle District right. when uh, uh, most recently, and he was a huge Gator fan and had some uh, pretty significant sports connections. And let's get into sports connections. Uh, we, I know that you started your sports career with the Jacksonville Jags. Was this like their first season, or like when did you start with the Jags? I started in their fourth season. I started in 1998. 1998, okay. Yes. And so Coach Coughlin was there, Mark Brunels, the quarterback, Tony Baselli, Jimmy Smith, Fred Taylor was drafted that year. Yeah. Fred Taylor was unbelievable. One of their best teams ever. One of their best teams, yes. Yeah. So my first year there, we win the – I guess we win it as a wild card. My second year, we were 14-2, and two, mm -hmm. won the division, hosted the AFC Championship game. Great, great team. Mm -hmm. And uh, doggone Titans beat us three times that season. Yeah. Out of the Super Bowl. Uh, was it Jeff Fisher was the coach yes. for the Titans back then? Yes. And then, so you, but you were what, what were you, what were you doing with the Jags when you first started? So my first year, I had to do team travel. Okay. And that that would be great if you had any sort of organizational skills. <laughs> uh, but as I've learned, I'm more the creative writing mm -hmm. type. And uh, so anyway, I did that for a year. We all got through it. We all got to where we needed to go for that year. Mm -hmm. And then I did salary cap work and contract negotiations. And that was really what they brought me in to do. And so I did that for two more years. And so after three years, the Jaguars... So you were negotiating on behalf of the Jacksonville Jaguars when, with other agents for the individual players? Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so doing salary cap work and negotiating on behalf of the club and, mm -hmm. and getting those things done. Very little legal work, more football operations and scouting type stuff. What did you enjoy more, the legal work or the, the scouting and the football operations? The scouting and the football. That was more fun. <laughs> okay. It that was. was a good... No offense. Yes. Yeah. But but then you actually that you parlayed your legal connections into another job with the right. NFL arena. Talk a little bit about that. Right. So I was with the Jaguars and um, ran into Rich McKay, who was then the general manager of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Mm -hmm. And Rich had clerked for Judge Hodges mm -hmm. in the 80s. My dad had clerked for Judge Hodges in the 70s, and then Rich in the 80s, me in the 90s. And so we we're all together at a law clerk function. And Rich said, you know, I really need somebody with your background in Tampa. So if you come up with somebody like that, I really could use that person. And I had hit kind of a ceiling in Jacksonville. I'd actually passed up a job to go to the Patriots. Mm -hmm. And, of course, they went on to win three of the next yeah. four Super Bowls after I said no. So I'm in Jacksonville. Yeah, and realized, I'm sorry, Mr. Kraft. Uh, you're just not looking too good up there. It's right. too cold, right? Right. Yeah. Way too cold. 
So, um, so Rich brought me over to Tampa, uh-huh. and so I ended up spending uh, three years with with the Bucks. But that first year I was in Tampa was with Tony Dungy, and so that ended up opening up all kinds of doors down the line. I didn't realize it, but but it was opening a lot for me. Yeah. So Tony Dungy is the uh, venerable head coach of a uh, former head coach of the Tampa Bay Bucks. Where else did he coach besides Tampa Bay? I know you didn't he coach. A different... He went on to coach at Indianapolis. Yes, for several right. years yes. for the Colts. Uh, very very. Uh, incredible um, person. Uh, every every person that I've heard talk about uh, t- uh, Mr. Dungy or Coach Dungy uh, holds him in pretty high regard. Uh, so y- you developed a relationship with him early on in his career, as well as you know your time with the Bucks, correct? Right. So it was early. It was my my first year was his last year in Tampa, and got to work. By then, I was doing all scouting stuff, all contract negotiations. So I was in. Coaches meetings every Monday when we went through the film and talked to the coaches about how players were doing and who we needed to think about long-term, make moves and whatever. And so got to be around him a lot. Mm-hmm. And it was a brutal year from the standpoint of rumors that they were going to bring in Bill Parcells and would Tony be fired. And so it was very stressful. I mean, here I just moved to Tampa and bought a house, and they're talking about firing everybody. Yes. You're, and are you married at this point with your I'm kids? I'm married yeah. and have a brand-new little girl. Okay, there you go. And so That's we how were, life works. Right. Yeah. We were stressed out, and Tony was never – he was always calm, and he yeah. was never stressed out. And he said, look, Nathan, my job's to coach. The Lord's job is to figure out where. Mm-hmm. All I can do is get up the next day and do what I'm supposed to do, and it'll all work out. Right. And that was really eye-opening to watch that every because the rest of us were panicked. Sure. And um, I remember, I mean, Tampa Bay was like the toilet bowl of the NFL for many, for most of its uh, that's early, right. early uh, franchise. That's right. And yeah. then Tony turned it around, and now all of a sudden he's on the hot seat. And, yeah. Uh, so we made the playoffs, but it wasn't enough, and Tony got fired, and mm-hmm. and then John Gruden came in for my last two years. So mm-hmm. spent two years there with Coach Gruden, won a Super Bowl, got a ring that's way too big for my hands. I love it. And um, show show the Duke one too. Oh yeah, so you I brought the, my. Uh, I the, did. We, I did. I should have it a little more. We we um, got to kind of present it in front of right. Spurrier's shrine here. <laughs> that's right. So the identical ones over there. When you come to the restaurant to see my jersey, yeah. you can see one of these rings as well. <laughs> um, so I've got, yes, I'll stick it on there with my uh, wedding ring, make sure that I get all three on. There you go. Um, Looks good. Thank you. So won a Super Bowl with Coach Gruden. Actually had a chance to go to the Bears as an assistant GM. The Bucks blocked that move and said they had plans for me. I was under contract, so they were entitled to do that. Blocked that move, and then the next year they fired me and fired most of us in the front office. Right. And uh, Rich had left and gone to the Falcons and... And so I was trying to think of what was next. And so I talked Tony into writing a book. And now it's been, took me three years to talk him into it. But now I've written seven with Tony and book with Tim Tebow. And the, This is incredible, the amount of books that you've written. So let me ask you this. What, what's the, um, the, and I hate to ask this, I know you've written a, child, a children's book as well. We were talking about right. a football children's book, which is called? Snap Decision. Snap Decision. And I have not read it yet, but I, I I kind of want to check that one out as well as, as these other books. What are some books if, if that you're the most proud of? Like, I know you probably enjoy writing all of them, but what are some books that you feel kind of are have more meaning to you than others? Right. It's yeah. like your favorite kids, right? You don't yeah. have one, but secretly you do. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I, yes. I, uh, my, so my first book, so I'm that first book where I was trying to talk Tony into writing it, yeah. and Tony said, nobody wants to read about me, and it took me three years to talk him into it. So I was unemployed. I was I still a little bit of a contract with the Bucks for six months. Mm-hmm. But then my wife's taking on odd jobs, and we're trying to figure out how to pay the mortgage, and, and finally I talked Tony into doing it, and it's mm-hmm. his memoir, Quiet Strength. And I really felt called that it would help people, that, that he's got such balance and such perspective. And, and so that really was a passion project. Mm-hmm. And then it ended up hitting number one on the New York Times bestseller list and second best-selling sports autobiography after Lance Armstrong, mm-hmm. which wow. you might argue is fiction. Yeah. So maybe we're number one. <laughs> um, I like that. But anyway, so, so that one really has a soft spot because it so really launched. Strength, you don't have to just be a sports fan to, to get – lessons from it and to enjoy the reading of it right i mean it's you don't it, you don't we really um we really worked hard to make it accessible yeah. because it's a story set in football of a career of football mm-hmm. but it's really tony has so many stories about life and and uh, just what it means to to, uh, to have a life well lived do you still speak with tony regularly i do yeah. i do we're on a uh, bible study along with my dad and a handful of others around the country wednesday afternoons and still talk to him every now and then he he's been out in oregon this uh, summer that's great so, in fact, That's, he's been pulling for Grant Holloway and some other Gators um, in the World Championships that just happened this weekend yeah, in yeah. Oregon. 
That's great. And how about Coach Spurrier? You ever, have you seen Coach Spurrier since he returned to Gainesville? I do. I run into him all over town, it seems like. <laughs> and uh, Actually, we sat with him in Orlando for the Men's National Championship in tennis um, a year or so ago. He, he, I've spent a lot of time with Brian Shelton and the men's tennis team. And uh-huh. Coach Spurrier told Brian, if you guys ever go play in the National Championship, I'm going to be there. And, and Brian looked up, and sure enough, Coach and Ms. Spurrier sitting there. And he's hey, on the Nate, front how's row. it going? <laughs> That's right. That's right. And he's yelling, drop shot, drop shot. Come on, hit a drop shot. That's great. So, yeah. I loved, you know, I played tennis at William & Mary, um, and I really, I miss it because it was uh, such a, a fun sport. And, and the mm-hmm. men's tennis team here at UF has uh, done a complete turnaround. I haven't yeah. uh, gone out and seen them since I moved back in the fall, but I'm going to, this upcoming year, I'm going to spend some time and actually in, uh, watch them because, Coach Shelton has done just an incredible job. No, it's great. And, and really incredible. He took over a decent program, yeah. but he told Jeremy Foley when he was hired, he said, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna take it down to the studs because we want to have people of character that really represent UF well. Yeah. And a few growing pains, and now they're just clicking. And they're, I mean, the GPA is off the charts, and the quality of the people is off it's, the charts. It's, it's world class. It's great. It's world class. Yeah. Well, we've got a few more minutes left. I, I want to talk to you just um, a little bit about uh, any other books that you have do you have anything else planned in the future that our listeners out there can be looking forward to? So nothing imminent. Uh, okay. I've been thinking about a few things and, and maybe working on a little more fiction. Um, so we'll see where all that goes. The, the one thing I would mention, the most recent book I did with Tony, you were asking for favorite books. Yeah, yeah. The, um, the other one that I would mention, and I do like them all, and, and it was so fun to spend time with Tim Tebow and work on his book, and he was out with the Broncos at the time. And Well, they're both men of, of, of faith. Absolutely. Yeah, Tony and Tim. Yeah, right. Really solid, great priorities and great families, and and so no, it was a, those have been real blessings to work on those. The most recent book with Tony uh, is called The Soul of a Team, mm-hmm. and it's a teamwork, a team building book, and it's about how to build teams and how to have high performing teams. And so the publisher had approached Tony and asked, you know, would you be interested in doing a book on team building? And Tony said, that'd be great, but I'm out of stories, mm-hmm. right? We've done seven books. One of them was a 365-day devotional with different stories. And mm-hmm. Tony said, I'm out. And they said, well, I'm sure you have a few more with the broadcasting and whatever. And Tony said, well, a few. So Tony and I write a 60,000-word manuscript, turn it in, and they rejected wow. it. Yeah. And they said, we've read all but three of these stories before in your prior books. And I, I told you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what Tony said. So we went back to the drawing board and rewrote it as a fable about the Orlando Vipers fictional football team mm-hmm. and all the things they do that are dysfunctional that Tony and I had seen over our time in the NFL. But Tony would never want to put those in books. He didn't want to embarrass that. anybody. He didn't want to. I want to so, read that. I've not read this yet. It was really been, fun. So what's the book uh, called? It's called Soul of a Team. Soul of a Team. Mm-hmm. And when, when did you end up uh, publishing it? That came out in 2019, right okay, before so COVID. Brand new. Yeah. Soul of a Team. Uh, I would say uh, that should be really interesting. You get kind of the, the secrets behind the real NFL, which you which they don't tell you. Right, yeah. right. It wasn't quite North uh, Dallas 40, but uh, but there's uh, yeah, there's some definite uh, dysfunction in the NFL. That's great. That's that's very cool. So and and I'll you know we were talking a little bit about NIL and some of the new issues that are cropping up. We don't have a ton of time to reach them, but you know one of the things that I think. You see with, you know, Tony Dungy and Tim Tebow and even, you know, Steve Spurrier, who's probably not as religious as the other two, but still has some man of faith, sure. is that these people have uh, a lot of, I mean, they they have, char- like, if you have to define character and, and put examples of character, these are the type of people that you're looking for, right? Are these are the... Absolutely. I mean, these, no, are, these guys are high character guys. So you've had right. incredible um, relationships with these people who... And I, I'm assuming Coach Shelton probably is pretty similar. Yes, absolutely. You no, know? it's been it's been great, and it's been, you know, there are a lot of folks like that out there. Mm-hmm. You hear about the bad eggs, yeah, and the bad or the bad apples, or the both of them eggs and apples. But but you hear about those more than you hear. You about don't them. want to eat either one of them. Neither one. You don't want either one of them. <laughs> yeah. They're bad. Um, but it's but there are really a lot of really good high quality folks out there trying to do the right thing. Yeah. And you know, again, we're in a very strange landscape now that everybody's trying to navigate and figure yeah. out how not to fall behind, but how to do things the right way. And is there even a right way? Is there even an NCAA paying attention to any of this? And the so, amateur athletics is, is, is in trouble in my mind, mm-hmm. you know, and we got to make a decision what's going to happen moving forward. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. Right. I, uh, we'll, we'll find out. That'll right. be something, you're right in the middle of it. So you'll, you'll see it too. And, 
I don't know if you met before we leave. Have you met Coach Napier yet? I haven't, but I've, I've heard great, great things about him. I heard I'm really he's excited. a huge, a high character uh, coach as well, uh, and he's he's a guy, man of faith, and he has uh, you know a ton of scruples. So yeah, that hopefully, usually that combination works well in situations where there's a lot of chaos right. on the outside to have that rock and that mm-hmm. you know that that un. You can't shake the unshakable vision as to what you need to to achieve. Those coaches tend to do pretty well in shaky times. Yeah, yeah. I think so, and I and I hope so. But I I think I Scott so Strickland's too. worked very hard to find the right people and uh, people of character. So well, Nathan, we could have gone for an hour. I, look, I I uh, I loved having you on today. You did an uh, incredible job. I, I am going to definitely. I want to read at least two or three of the books, including the chi- the children's book. Uh, even though I don't have uh, any children to read it to, I want to check it out because it's based on uh, Stark, Florida, right? That's right. So That's it's right. got some so, local ties. Yeah. Uh, it was a great, great time today. Thank you for coming on. And if anybody else wants to uh, look up your your uh, list of books, obviously they, I'm assuming they can go to Amazon. Totally. You know, mm-hmm. download yes. them on iBooks. They're available on, on any type of multimedia, multimedia as well as um, Books a Million, I'm sure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Big deal. So we had our New York Times bestselling author, Harvard Law School graduate, former East Side grad, uh, Duke, uh, football player, baseball player, and uh, celebrity biographer, plus a bunch of other stuff on our show today. Thank you for coming in, Nathan. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, buddy. Oh, my gosh. I can't even believe this. Look, look what you have done to my truck. Excuse me, it's your fault, it's not my fault. Yes, it is your fault. I am calling Jeffrey Maldon from Maldon Law. So I'm going to call Jeffrey, my husband. Maldon Law, this is Jeffrey speaking. Jeffrey! This guy's here. This guy's here. He might be. New client? Yes, but this one might be a little tricky. When you're a member of the Gator Nation, you know what it means to never back down. Melden Law has been a proud supporter of the Gator Nation since 1971. Two forces that won't back down. As the old saying goes, if you can't beat them, join them. We still hear it, the sound of victory, the joy of being part of something great. And while things may not be the same right now, we haven't gone anywhere. If you bleed orange and blue, then Melden Law is the firm for you. I was in an accident. Someone ran a red light and hit me, and I was hurt. You don't know where to turn. Luckily, I called Jeffrey. These big insurance companies, they don't want you to win. They truly don't. But Jeffrey and his firm and the people that work here, they just really fight for you. You call the law offices of Jeffrey Belden because you're going to need help, and they will help you. We are here at the University of Florida, where Albert and Alberta are competing in the game of penalty shootout. Albert is ready to stop the shot at all costs. What a disaster. Luckily, Mountain Law is the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gator. If you have suffered any injury, do not worry, because Mountain Law is going to help you with your recovery. Mountain Law doesn't back down until they reach their goal. Alberta, I understand you were witnesses to a crash. Can you tell us about the accident? When you're in a crash, it's important to get witness statements immediately after the accident. Whether you're in a car, truck, motorcycle, scooter, or even a golf cart accident, at Melden Law, we won't back down. Hello, this is Carrie Meldon, and we're back here at Meldon Law and Friends. We're here at Spurs Gridiron Grill. As you can see, the helmet's back here. We're in the podcast room. If you have not been to Spurs Gridiron Grill yet, 
It's pretty fabulous. It's basically a restaurant combined with a museum. It has, uh, right now it's got uh, some people already here eating and chilling and I guess it's half, half, uh, half off martinis. On, I heard that. On, yes. what is this, Tuesday? So if you have a hankering for a martini, why not come down to Spurrier's and, and have yourself one? So we're, uh, we're really excited to be at, at Spurrier's, and we're also excited to have our next guest. We have Adam Tensa. Uh, Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you. And uh, we're really happy to, uh, to have you here. We had a, an interesting first guest. I'm sure you're just going to be just as interesting because oh, so. I've been reading your, bi- your bio and what you do is really, really fun. And I think the uh, audience out there is going to really enjoy listening about it. But uh, before we get into the details, I want to talk a little bit about uh, your background and what brought you to Gainesville. So, uh, you know, Adam, why don't you introduce um, yourself a little bit to the audience? Uh, I know that you're, uh, where are you from originally? So Ocala, Florida. Okay. Um, <clears throat> actually lived in Gainesville when I was 18 and 19. Okay. I'm 37 now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I live in, live in Ocala, uh, Southwest Ocala, right off 75. Um, and that's pretty much been the bulk of, of where I've lived. Is, so, is Ocala. so, uh, when I said Gainesville, I'm, uh, I meant Ocala, Gainesville, North Central Florida. So you're, you're born and bred. Born and raised. Yeah. Did yep. you go to Forest or did you go to Vanguard? Forest. Okay. Yep. What, and you graduated probably what, 2003, 2002? 2002. Okay. Yep. Any sports? Wrestling. Wrestling. I was, a, I was a little kid. I weighed, well, I wrestled 103. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So I was a small, I was a small, tiny boy. Would have loved football. <laughs> Too little. Too small. I couldn't play football either, so don't worry about it. I was, I was a tennis player, so I've, I figured out really early on that I wasn't going to be playing uh, football and decided to go towards I don't know, tennis, swimming, tennis. wrestling. I think those are pretty tough sports. Yeah, they are tough. They're individual sports. For so, sure. so mentally, they're very challenging. Absolutely. And uh, I know, I guess you had you had your original career was as a paramedic. Is that correct? That's uh, initially how it started. Yeah. Uh, yep. Paramedic, which led me into being a critical care paramedic, um, which led me into essentially shifting gears uh, after so many years, uh, and I got into health tech sales mm-hmm. um, all the way up to a national level. Uh, spent many many years reaching out to physicians, providers. Uh, selling them solutions, talking to them about solutions that could help their practices mm-hmm. um, all the way up to a, a hospital level. Um, and then that led me to where I am now and what I do now. But well, uh, without further ado, let's yeah. get into what, what's going on uh, now in your life. So uh, I don't really have a great story on how it started. I think we woke up one day and uh, just said we're going to open an escape room uh-huh. uh, about a year and a half ago. And we opened up an escape room in Southwest Ocala. So there you go. So for those listeners out there, What's an escape room? So an escape room, uh, simply put, is just an immersive, fun experience that you can come uh, do with friends, family, colleagues, team building uh, uh, sessions, whatever you want to do. Regardless of who you bring, uh, you're really going to focus on just having a good time doing puzzles, solving riddles, laughing, uh, being scared, potentially, depending on what room you pick, (laughs) and uh, just ultimately having a good time for 60 minutes, 90 minutes, depending on how long the room is, and that's it. So you had this thirst to be an entrepreneur that you developed when you started working in health tech. Is that is that correct? Essentially. Yeah. So I used to sit down and try to map out, uh, you know, different health tech solutions that I could, you know, let me go get investors and, you know, hey, you need millions of dollars. And it's just something that's obviously extremely, extremely hard to, to break into. But ultimately, I love communicating, collaborating, networking. Mm-hmm. I love entertaining. I love being around people. So we did two escape rooms, my wife and I, that's, that's my partner. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're 50-50 right down the middle with the creation of this company. And it became a situation where I kept talking about it, and then she finally said, let's do it. Uh, and then we started it up, and it's, it's been growing month after month. And What was the first escape room you ever did? Was there, was there one that really like kind of blew you away, that gave you the inspiration? So... Her and I, we've done, I would say, roughly... There's, now, there's people that have done hundreds of escape rooms. We've, mm-hmm. we've done roughly 60 escape wow. rooms. Yeah. Uh, and our, our number one, my number one room is, is actually in Orlando. It's, it's a company called Dare to Escape. Absolutely fantastic. Very mm-hmm. inspiring. Um, and that's just... Rooms like that bring a ton of inspiration to try to create an incredible escape room. Because mm-hmm. there's many different levels of... of 
immersive environments that you can go to in an escape room. And everybody's different on what they like and what they want to experience. Right. Our escape room definitely is is what's considered actually a third generation escape room. So we actually don't have locks and keys mm-hmm. in our rooms. Uh, we don't have motion locks. For people that aren't familiar, when you go to an escape room, you typically you go in a room, and if you do a Dungeons and Dragons room, you go into the first room, and it looks like a castle, mm-hmm. and then there's locks everywhere. So your goal is to figure out how you can get keys to open up all the different locks. Mm-hmm. We're the same concept, but with our higher level of, of generation and tech, it's actually all driven by technology. You don't see it as a guest, mm-hmm. uh, but you're actually solving riddles, doing puzzles without having to get a key and then do a, do a padlock. Mm-hmm. The game is just opening and advancing on with you as you're completing things. So it's, wow. it's, a, it's much harder to put together, much more costly, but at the end of the day, people are just blown away when they come in and do the room and they leave and they're like, this is the greatest room I've ever done. And, <laughs> um, but that's, that's what brings me the most joy and reward is, is watching people leave and hearing the comments about just what a time, what a great time they had. Well, the name of the escape room is called Huddy's Escape. Mm-hmm. How did you come up with the name Huddy's Escape? So Huddy's Escape, that was part of getting my partner's buy-in. Mm-hmm. Uh, my stepson is, is six. He just turned seven, actually. So his name is Hudson. Okay. Um, his, his nickname is Huddy. So I said, you know what we'll do? We'll call it Huddy's Escape. And we actually get that question often because you typically have a lot of escape room names where it kind of flows. You know exactly why it's named that. You right. Know, locks and keys, escape room. There's escapeology across the street. Escapeology, yeah. Yep. yeah. And it kind of flows with, like, the, the name of an escape room. Ours is... Not necessarily confusing, but people are always interested. Where did the name come from? So that's our, that's our, our seven-year-old. Uh, his name is Huddy. That's so great. So we named it after him. So soon he's going to be old enough to where I can have him come on and, and do podcasts and do, the, do different discussions and interviews. Yeah, well, a, he can start helping design rooms, too. So he actually holds our record in our School of Magic room. I believe it's three and a half minutes. He can go through the whole room. It's a 60-minute room. Oh, there, there you go. The guy, he's a natural escape artist. Yeah, it's funny what, yeah. what we don't realize with these, with these little, little kids. They, they go through the rooms, and they're doing stuff with you while you're setting it up, and you don't realize they're really paying attention. Yeah. And then they go in and just do the whole room in like three minutes because they've seen it all, and they memorized it all. So That's cool. Um, but yeah, we, have, we actually have a lot of six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds that come to our location, all the way up to 75-year-olds that, that come to our location. Where, where is the location? So it's right off State Road 200, mm-hmm. uh, right off 75. It's about two miles off of Exit 352 in, in Ocala. Mm-hmm. We actually, before coming here today, we were at uh, Magnolia Park looking at 5,400 square feet. That's a great place. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great. So Magnolia Park, for the listeners out there, is in Gainesville. Uh, kind of, it's off of 39th and near, um, there's, a, there's a couple, David's Barbecue and there's Mother's Grill and Northwest Seafood, but... That's a huge area. That's a that's a big spot. Yep. So we were there with a contractor uh, yeah. earlier today, map, trying to get that number. How much is it going to cost to get this where we want it to be? And our current location is about two thousand square feet, and this one's fifty four hundred. So um, we've definitely expanded beyond mm-hmm. what we can take on at our current location. We couldn't add another game if we wanted to because we have it completely maxed out. So if if people want to do the escape room do you guys do walk-ins do you prefer having calls ahead of time is there online appointments how does that usually how does that work so the the normal way is you go to the website huddiesescape.com uh, and you click book now mm-hmm. and then you see the th- we have three games at that location you look at the games read about them figure out which one you want to do pick a date pick a time and just book it and then it kind of gives you instructions show up 15 minutes ahead of time complete your waivers uh, before you show up but we also do, we recommend that way, but we do walk-ins depending, mm-hmm. you know, a day like today, you know, we have our, our, our team members are there. Mm-hmm. If you walked up and we have openings and yeah, they can get them booked. If it's like a Thursday through Sunday, typically we're, we pretty much sell out through, wow. throughout that time. That's great. Um, and usually it's like the day of, so like Thursday morning, it just starts to really fill up. Mm-hmm. Saturday usually fills up by a Friday. So if someone does a walk up, you know, it's disappointing for us to have to be like, hey, we can't, yeah. you know, we can't get Ma- you in. Make but. sure you go to, what's the uh, website? Huddiesescape.com. Make sure you go to Huddiesescape.com ahead of time so you can lock in your, your room. Yeah. Do, do any, does anyone ever do more than one room a day or is it usually just one room a day? So we have a, we actually, with the style of our location, we have a ton of enthusiasts that travel all around Florida to come to our location. So there's different forums on the on Facebook and social media where people uh, can learn about you know reviews and what people are saying about our location. So we do get a lot of that. Those people typically will 
they'll drive from Tampa and mm -hmm. they'll do all of our rooms kind of in the same setting. And they won't really call, they'll just book them all. So usually when you see someone book all three, we know that you know it's probably an enthusiast group. That's cool. But the majority of people, they come, they do a room, they leave and they say, literally, this is the greatest thing I've ever done. Uh, we wanna do the other rooms, so we'll get them booked. Um, and usually we'll sometimes throw in some discounts because they're booking multiple rooms at the sure. same time and stuff. But That's great. Um, usually if they do one of our rooms, they typically do, uh, they end up, maybe not the same day, but they end up doing all of our rooms. Let's do this. We're going to go to a break, but when we come back, I want you to talk maybe about the rooms that are currently available. Sure. And we can, uh, about the time, maybe what sure. the, uh, what each uh, theme is, and then uh, anything else that's really cool. I mean, this is going to be, it sounds like it's really busy, it's, and it's been uh, a huge success. So if you are an escape room enthusiast, or if you want to try one for the first time, I think you can uh, check out Huddy's. You don't have to have experience to be able to go, right? No, I'd say 80% of our, of our customers are just hearing about us from friends and family, word of mouth, and they've never done a room. So we, we give good instructions. We give good clue system and whatnot to get them through a room. So no experience is necessary. Wonderful. Well, we'll be back with Adams from Huddy's Escape in Ocala, Florida after the break. Alberta, I understand you were witnesses to a crash. Can you tell us about the accident? When you're in a crash, it's important to get witness statements immediately after the accident. Whether you're in a car, truck, motorcycle, scooter, or even a golf cart accident, at Meldon Law, we won't back down. We still hear it. The sound of victory. The joy of being part of something great. And while things may not be the same right now, we haven't gone anywhere. If you bleed orange and blue, then Melden Law is the firm for you. We're back here at Melden Law and Friends. We're and this is our 100, wait, is this our 91st uh, episode of Melden Law and Friends? We started during COVID and we have not missed a week. We've had two really cool um, guests per week. And Adam Tenza is a great guest and we're having a great time talking about Huddy's Escape. And we're really uh, happy to have him here because he offers some entertainment in this nor North Central Florida area that we really don't have that much of, which is uh, escape rooms. It's something that if you haven't been before, I, I've been to an escape room. I think I went down in South Florida in Fort Lauderdale, there was an escape room. And we had a great time. Everybody was laughing. Everybody was having fun. And we don't have as, as many activities as we need in North Central Florida. So Huddy's Escape Room is a great thing that you can bring your family and your friends to. And, and is the escape room appropriate for all ages? Yes, uh, certainly. Yeah. So depends on the theme you pick. Okay, well, let's talk so, about the <clears throat> themes then. That, that sounds like a great So idea. we have scary themes. Uh -huh. uh, we have a scary slash creepy then we have magical, you know, very much school of magic theme, which is um, that's definitely what the uh, the young young children love. So you use wands and stuff. Remember, our games are all third generation yeah. interactive. So uh, there's a big focus on you know using the items that are around you to complete puzzles. An example: Hey, we just found some wands. The wands are actually interactive. You use the wands in the game. That's awesome. Um, so the through digital through digital <laughs> technology. Um, no, it's it's more it's sensor based. Okay. So there's sensors on the end of end of the wands, and you got to do certain patterns and sequences in certain areas to to trigger that things. Is very so, cool. Yeah. So um, it might be point you know a particular one. You might point it at something, and mm -hmm. that triggers, and then something opens, and then sounds play, and things happen, and lights flicker, and um, or something might be a sequence that you have to touch things with the wand, and that's all things that you have to figure out. This is out way while. cooler than the one I went to. So this is the next level. Uh, like you said, third generation escape well, room. We didn't mean to go because it, so it's ex, it's very costly to do these type of rooms. And I can it's, only imagine. It, very yeah. time consuming and stressful versus yeah. having the locks and the lock games can be a blast. And that's what we were going to do when we, <clears throat> excuse me, started to open. Mm -hmm. And I just was like, well, what about this level of an escape room and yeah. this one and this one? And we just went as high as we could and mm -hmm. and and launched it that way. And we were slightly concerned when we first opened because of the amount of investment we put into it, but. The, the return's been fantastic because people love it. And they're, they're blown away by uh, 
I don't know if you want to say a typical escape room experience. Every room is so different. Um, but all I can say is when they come to our location, they first walk in and they just kind of go, wow, this, this is really cool. And mm -hmm. then they go to our hallway and they go, this is really, really cool. cool. Yeah. Then they go in the room and they really just, just light up throughout that's, the game. That's and awesome. So that's, that's, and you got three rooms. You got the scary one, you've got the magical one, and then you've got a third one. So we, we kind of have two kind of two scary. So gotcha. one is one is creepy and it's called the Omen. Okay, the um, Omen number one. So it's dark in areas. There's no jump scares, nothing yeah. like that. But it's kind of dark in some areas. Then it lights up in other areas. Um, but the the nature of the game is just kind of creepy. Mm -hmm. um, imagine like being in the backwoods mm -hmm. uh, or something. It's it's just kind of creepy. School of Magic very lit up, very fun, very um, enjoyable for any age. Mm -hmm. And then we have our 1970 room, which we just opened. And typically that room uh, s sells out every, every weekend. Mm -hmm. um, but it is new, so we expected that. But that game really focuses on intense scares. Yeah. Uh, so if <laughs> you want to have an extremely immersive yeah. escape room, while also being really scared, yeah. then that's that's definitely the room. That sounds so cool. How, what's the maximum amount of people that can fit in all in these escape rooms? So it all kind of goes on a couple things, how many puzzles there are interactively in each section that people can work on, and then how big each area is. So our School of Magic and our Omen room can hold a minimum of two, so we'll let just a couple of two, or you know, just a couple come in, mm -hmm. or all the way up to 10. And okay. then our 1970 is a max of five. Five? So that gets that's much more intimate. Yeah, and that's yeah. because of the structure of the puzzles right. and the size of some creepy corridors that you have to work through. Gotcha. We just figured five would be the ideal number, and some people say, "Oh no, it could be seven and eight. We wouldn't mind." We just feel five is a good number, and I like that. Our, our so average you, group size is probably four and five and it, for every room, and it keeps the demand up too because people want to make sure they can get it's. So it's hard to get into the 1970 room if you're listening to this. Start booking your uh, experience now. Sure, and the, you can always get in if you want to be scared. If you want to be scared, and if you don't, you can go to the magical. Uh, it sounds like a Harry Potter type room, essentially, more or, or less. Okay, there you go. So it's got a little bit for everybody. How often do you change the themes of the room? So because of the level of technology that's put into our rooms, uh, it, just the, the sheer cost and time to get <clears throat> these rooms put together, they'll probably stay for a few years. Mm -hmm. That's why we're actually expanding for demand and request to go to a second location that's somewhat nearby. Yeah. And what we, we won't mirror the rooms. They'll be just the location that we're looking at at Magnolia Park. We'll actually probably open seven rooms in that because it's 5,400 square feet. That so. would be, I think, I think you'd do great. I think you'd, that'd be incredible because it sounds like your rooms are, are what aficionados are looking for. It's like a real escape room experience. Not like you said, the lock and key. Well, uh, so the, the lock and key can be fantastic. Yeah. Um, we just, the, there's, it's kind of like they, when they started six, six-ish, seven years ago, yeah. it was all lock and key. That was just all there was. That's the one and I went to was a lock and key one, which was fun. And it, it can be yeah. very fun. Yeah. Then it started to blend uh, years ago with some lock and key where you mix in some, some tech elements. Mm -hmm. Then the highest level of, of an escape room is just all tech. Mm -hmm. There are no locks whatsoever. Um, because it's, it's a little bit easier to take a box, put a lock on it, and figure out what the puzzle's going to be to attach to that on how to find your key for it right. versus running all these controllers and technology just to get the box open by, you know, rearranging all these helmets in a certain order by looking at a clue over here mm -hmm. uh, that you guys have to work together on. And then when you do it, it's, that door opens for you. Yeah, it's more complex, it seems like, what you've got going on with, with, with the uh, type of escape rooms that you're offering. Especially on the back end, like yeah. on our, where you don't, you don't see it, you don't struggle with the tech, you don't have to mess with tech, mm -hmm. you just do normal immersive things that you would expect to do in this type of immersive environment. So like if you're in the woods right. and you're tugging on tree branches, that's what you would expect to do in real life. So we want that same experience in the escape room. But behind the scenes, if you saw the tech room, like the server room, you'd look at it and go, oh my goodness. But we, it's fantastic. There's so much reward from it for people that do it. And Adam, and Adam, you guarantee everybody will be let out. You never, you never can't escape. 
even if you can't finish the puzzle. So we have a seven-page waiver, and on page six, <laughs> it does say that we can detain you for up to 24 hours, but nobody reads it. No. Ooh. Everybody, everybody escapes. The doors don't actually lock, so uh -huh. there's you don't even have to push a panic button. The, the exit doors are always open for you to, to walk out and Do leave. people ever get freaked out, like in the 1970 house, that they've had to walk out for a second? So we had two, and, and that's a newer game, so uh -huh. we, we haven't had hundreds of, of, of groups go through it yet. We've already had a few 30-year-old ladies actually cry out of the room, and they tried not to. So my, my wife oh, was what? actually looking at the camera because we watch you while you're in yeah, there. Yeah, 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 to make she's sure like, everything's going okay. And to give yeah. clues if you ask for a clue and gotcha. stuff. So she's like, I think she's crying. I'm like, no. So we have a really good you know, CCTV setup. Tammy's laughing over here. She, <laughs> it's, that would be it, yes. It, Tammy's it's, our producer, by the she way. Was, yeah. She was fighting it. So she, she was kind of doing this, and I zoom in. I'm like... Oh no, she is. So let me just, we never interrupt a room. We never bounce into a room and talk to them, but it's a little different. So yeah. I, I opened the door. I said, Hey, do you, do you want to come out? You is can this... watch your friends continue on. And she's like, no, it's, it's okay. <laughs> Three minutes later, she did finally say, you know, let me, and it's not that it's that intense. It right. just, it's a scary environment it's and there's good. jump scares and yeah, uh, you're so getting, she, you're getting, you're getting a rise. You're getting your adrenaline uh, is probably pumping by the time you're done with it. She did just go through the most intense part of the game. So um, that's definitely kind of put it. And she loved it. And yeah. afterwards, she did say, I loved it, but I was scared. Did you um, go through it yourself the first time before you brought it into your location? Uh, it's kind of hard because I built it from scratch. So oh, these are custom-built games. So the 1970, I completely built and wired and ran and built every control. Everything is completely that's done. That's absolutely incredible. Yep. So completely done by me. So wow. our big expense there is... You know, wow. the 1,500 hours that it, that it takes me in labor and then all the material costs. And, but everything is done. And so there's only one 1970 escape room in, in the whole world. Yeah, I built it completely from – I was laying in my bed, started sketching out what it would be. So and that, you're not going to get that from any other escape room in terms of having that, that uniqueness. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there's a lot of most escape rooms like that. I would figure a lot of them are, are franchises that share the same rooms. Well, so – so you have Escapeology right here, actually, yeah. behind us. Um, we've done all their rooms. Okay. So when they, when they franchise and they open another location, it's all the same games. Right. Cool, cool games, fun games. But, but they've already been done. And that's yeah. what makes it a little bit easier to get a new location open because you have your games that you're going to carry into them. Yeah. Um, but then it, it depends. You, you do get a lot, a lot of custom games at locations, and it's just a matter of, the puzzle flow and, mm -hmm. and the theming and, and what level is put into to those aspects. It's almost of like it. directing a movie, it seems like. Probably harder because you have to, it's interactive, so there's so many different ways well, that it can end. It's extremely stressful to build the game and then watch guests go in the game. And then, you know, so our employees are watching them. They're like, whatever. I'm watching them like, oh no, did they see that imperfection? Yeah. Oh no, they're not happy with it because yeah. I built it. So it's very stressful. And I even, I tell my wife, I'm like, I wish I didn't build this sometimes because yeah. it's so overpoweringly stressful. Well, you put your, your blood, sweat, and tears into it. But it's yeah. people love it, so mm -hmm. that's it. And then what they don't see is you have three issues that happen after you know a run of eight groups, and then you're back there behind the scenes for three mm -hmm. hours getting it all fixed back up. And mm -hmm. So you're, it's constantly like a uh, uh, trial and error with getting everything perfect. Yeah, Groups never have any problems at all whatsoever, but that's because all the time we spend behind the scenes making sure it's perfect. Well, it sounds like it's incredible. I think, how about like for businesses, for example? It sounds like you can fit if you, um, if you have, what, five to ten per room. Sure. Do, do businesses ever uh, rent out the entire uh, escape rooms when it's not busy and they can? So we have had, so we haven't had businesses rent out the whole place, but we've had birthday parties rent out the whole place. Mm -hmm. But we have had a lot of team building where they call and say, hey, I got 22 people. And it's yeah. like, well, I can't get 22 people in a room, so here's some options. Option one would be we split them all up. Mm -hmm. Six or seven of them pick the scary. Six or seven pick the creepy. Six or seven or eight pick the school of magic. And typically, everybody's so different. Yeah. It's easy for them to break down and, and get those selections. And then we're able to book the 22. They're just kind of spread out between the rooms. Um, or we do eight of you are going to do School of Magic. Then eight of you are going to do School of Magic next. And you're going to rotate and then make it a competition and, and judge the time. That's cool, too. So you can yeah. actually have 
inner competition within the sure the whatever group. whatever yeah. they'd like to do to, to make it fun all right well unfortunately we're coming to the end of the podcast but i want to make sure that the audience out there knows how to get in touch with huddy's sure. escape and adam uh so once again can you give your uh your sure. website information so huddy's escape.com h-u-d-d-y-s escape.com and then also our Facebook, we typically update our Facebook constantly with uh, pictures inside the rooms. You can see some of that on our Facebook and our Instagram. Um, so if you go to either of those, which is just looking us up by Huddy's Escape, uh, you can get some good images of what we actually put into to our rooms and what the level of detail is. I, I, I want to go. So I'm committing to some of our, at least our, our Ocala office to go down there and see sure. if we can get him to escape. Love to have him. Yes. Adam, thank you for coming into Absolutely. the show. Thank you. And uh, once again, Huddy's Check it out. Thank you.